You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right, so I do need to do just a little quick review. This is going to be a quick review uh, from the last couple of weeks, and some of this is actually new. But So we're in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, let's go ahead and, and read down through this. Uh, this morning, Matthew chapter 13. And um, let's, let's take the first part of the chapter where Jesus first brings this parable out. I'm going to start in verse 3. It says, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. That's going to be a good section when we get there. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, let him here. So we find, I'm going to start at the end of that. Jesus ended this parable up saying that the seed in various conditions will produce 30, 60, or 100 fold, or 160, or 30 fold as it comes out in this translation. The idea there is any of those, even 30 fold, would be considered a miraculous harvest. Even the lowest of these, it was, it was real interesting, this, this whole thing with Solomon that Boyd was talking about this morning. He comes and he asks for wisdom. His heart's in the right place. God says, I'm going to give that to you. And, you know, we come and ask God for things a lot of times, and we kind of feel like um, we're trying to ask for the minimum. You know, we don't want to stretch him. We don't, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to break the bank in heaven, you know. So, so we ask for kind of the minimum, and God is so abundant, and he gives so so abundantly. And this parable talks about seed producing, again, the minimum of 30-fold is a huge, huge harvest. And, and so even at that, as the disciples heard this, and again, this was an agricultural community. They knew about these things. They knew about soil. They knew about seeds. They knew about farming. And, and that would strike them as, this is really extravagant. What Jesus is talking about here is the fact that as, as he explains it, his word in our hearts can produce more than we would ever think possible out of a word from God. And, and so he comes down to the end of that parable and he talks about this good ground. He talks about ground that will produce this magnificent harvest. And I just want to say a couple things about that to you. Good, fertile, productive soil doesn't just happen, it's made. It's, it's nearly always made, and we can sure relate to that here. If we think about in this valley, there, there are some really fertile, I mean, we grow tremendous grass hay, and other places you may have lived, you know, they, where I grew up, they grew wheat and barley and oats, and now I guess it's corn, and I mean, there's all this stuff. But somebody worked that soil to put it in that condition. There were some things that were already in the soil, some of the minerals and some of the things that were real conducive to producing a good harvest. But especially when we talk about our hearts, good ground is made. It, it doesn't just happen, 
okay? It's made, it's created. Here, people had to think of all the work that, you know, we kind of take the ditches for granted at this point. It's a lot of work every year just to keep them open. But think about, I've always been blown away ever since first coming to Western Colorado, you know, whatever, 40 some years ago, the irrigation, you know, the way that the water has been collected and brought down and brought out into the small, that's a lot of work. Somebody dug all those ditches originally and, and moved all the rock and everything to create that. And then there's the tilling and there's the weeding and there's all this stuff that goes into having good soil. It's the same thing in our hearts. We cannot just expect that in every area of life, our hearts are going to produce good things. All of us have stuff that God needs to deal with in our heart. And it'll be that way for the rest of our lives. It's, it's not going to go away. But Jewish culture considered soil preparation to be just as important as planting or harvesting, and because they knew it was that important. You, you can't sneeze in here. We'll, we'll have to run you out. That's, it's allergies. Relax. I, can, I, hear, I hear the sirens. Yeah. Sorry. I will not. I'm, I'm going to be good. I can do it, hon. I can do it. Positive, productive. Thank you. All right. The other thing we saw last week, we saw it in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, that Jesus said, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? He was saying the truth that's found here is so foundational. You're not going to get what God is saying to you without getting the truth that's found in this parable. Okay. We went on and in verses three and four, let me just give you these. I need to give you these things real quickly. Um, In fact, you know what? It's 1041. I'm not going to take time to do any more review. So go back and get last week's teaching. It's out there. You can do it. Go, not right now, but go back and get last week's teaching and get the foundation. We need to get into this stuff about hardness of heart. All right, we came down to this idea that this first type of soil, hard soil, it was the soil described as along the beaten path. We talked a lot about that last week. It, is, it describes what we would call a hard heart, a heart that is unreceptive to God, uh, God's seed, God's word coming into it. It either it does one of two things, all right? There's two, two ways that that heart will respond. It will neglect the word. Sometimes a hard heart just neglects the word. That's kind of passive, right? It's, it's not so overt as somebody rejecting the word. But the scripture tells us in several places that neglecting God's word or rejecting God's word, both of those things produce the same results in our life. They both keep the word from producing on the inside of us, from changing us and producing the fruit of God's spirit on the inside of us. And they are equal. We think of neglecting, ignoring, just kind of dismissing the word, not putting much emphasis on it. Oh, that's not so bad. Yeah, it is. It's the same thing. You will come out with the same result as if you just outright reject it and say, I don't want anything to do with God. You will come out with the exact same result in your life. All right. So what causes people's hearts to be hard? This is just a short list, uh, but these are some things. What causes people's hearts to be hard? First of all, understand that there, there are several categories to this. One is there are things that are done to you. We can make soil hard by compacting it, right? I saw some guys over here 
this last week that we're running a compactor with, with a remote control. We used to have to get out there and beat ourselves to death all day. Here is this guy with a remote control running a compactor. I almost stopped and talked to him, but it was an old guy thing, so I, I didn't. But anyway, you can make soil really hard by compacting it, by beating on it. And uh, so for some of us, things are done to us in life. And that causes our hearts to get hard. We start to resist what God would say or the changes he would make, hope that he would bring, that kind of thing. Uh, other things, the second one is things that we allow to get into our heart and take root that are ungodly. Those will cause our hearts to be hard toward God. So, so things that are done to you, things that we allow ourselves, and then choices that we make, just decisions that we make about our life, how much time we spend with God, how open we are to the Lord, that type of thing. All of those things will cause our hearts to become hard. But I want to give you, again, this is just a little list, but there are things that will cause our hearts to be hard toward God. And the first one is rebellion. All right, I think this is a huge one for Americans because we're kind of brought up, at least for the last, maybe forever, but at least since about the late 1950s, people are brought up with sort of a spirit of rebellion. And the scripture tells us, God says that rebellion equals witchcraft. All right, it says that, that rebellion is as, it is like, it is the same as the sin of witchcraft. Because witchcraft is taking spiritual authority and using it improperly for your own ends. Instead of being submitted to God and flowing with his spirit, we would try to use our spiritual authority or, you know, some people are doing this with the devil, but it's the same thing. They're trying to take spiritual authority and manipulate and, and direct it in a, a wrong way. Rebellion does the same thing. Rebellion rises up on the inside of us and says, I don't recognize any authority in my life except me. I'm it. What I think is what I'm going to do. What I like to do is what I'm going to do. The way I think it is, that's the way it is. Um, we, we see, you know, people these days, they say, I live by my rules. And it's, it's a real arrogant, you know, we're supposed to admire that. I live by my rules. I don't yield to anything else. I'm my own authority, right? There's that spirit in our, in our life. And, and I think it's in our society. I think it's something that gets in every one of us and something that we have to let God address in us. People say, I live by my own truth. You don't have your own truth. Sorry to break it to you, but you don't have your own truth. There's no such thing as your truth. There's one truth. His name is Jesus Christ. The truth is who God is and what he says. That's, that's what truth is, all right? And all of us need to deal with it and all of us need to yield to it. You don't have, you don't get your own truth, all right? You can tell if rebellion is working in your heart because you get irritated when anybody gives you instruction or correction or uh, boundaries. Anybody set boundaries for you? going to do that. You know, I'm just not going to do that. You might not say anything, but that's what comes up in your heart. That's rebellion, and it will cause you, it'll make it very difficult for you to receive any instruction from God. 
I mean, and, and we all, we're born with some of this. We, it's part of man's autonomy against God. When we are born into the earth, we're not born again yet. You know, uh, the scripture says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child and that the rod of discipline will drive it far from them. Unpopular scripture these days, but I think rebellion is a big part of that foolishness. I know it was in my case, uh, that is bound up in us just when we're born as children. So rebellion is something that we'll, we need to be able to identify. We need to let God deal with any rebellion that's on the inside of us. Second one, misunderstanding of God's nature, or you might call that bad doctrine. All right, misunderstanding God's nature. You can't receive from God if you can't trust God. You just can't receive from anybody that you can't trust. And so if you don't know God's nature, that he's loving, that he's on your side, that he sent his son to die for you, it doesn't mean he likes everything we think when we say he's on our side. It simply means he has our best interest at heart. And so if he gives me an instruction or a correction or a boundary for my life, it's for my good. And I need to yield to it. I need to receive it. I need to open my heart to it and embrace it. All right? But if you think that God is causing destruction in your life, causing loss in your life, that he's the one that does that is behind every bad thing that happens on the planet. If you don't have that straightened out about who God is, if you misunderstand his nature, and a lot of us are taught that growing up, if you don't have that straight, you're not going to be able to receive. You're not going to be able to have an open, soft, tender heart to receive from God. Does that make sense to you? All right. I deal with people, I mean, frequently who have closed their hearts to the message of the gospel and to God himself because they believe lies about who he is. And they'll, they say it all the time. They'll, they will totally dismiss my belief based on a misunderstanding of what the Bible actually says. Well, the Bible says that slavery is okay and the Bible says this and the Bible says that. That isn't, if you understand what the Bible is saying, no, that's not what the Bible says. But there's no arguing with them. They have closed their heart to the message of the gospel. All right. And it's because they've misunderstood who God actually is and what he has actually said. All right. Okay. Number three, offense. We've talked about this so many times. I won't take a lot of time on it this morning, but it is one of the biggest, I think, most successful avenues that Satan has for closing people's heart to God. Offense. They become offended with somebody else. And again, especially if they have the theology that says, well, that person doing this to me, that's God had some purpose in that. God did that. Well, then they close their heart to that person and to God. But offense traps us. It doesn't, being offended with somebody doesn't hurt them a bit. But the, the scriptural term for offense, is a, it's the part of the trap that springs it, the part where you put the bait, okay? Again, we've talked about this a lot. If you find yourself holding grudges, if you find yourself, you know, somebody abuses you, hurts you, slights you, says something bad about you, whatever it is, might be totally real what they did. And six months or a year or two years later, something comes up about that person. You're still holding that grudge. If you frequently find yourself secretly enjoying someone else's pain or failure, you've got offense working in your heart. 
Okay, oh, well, they deserved that. Well, what did you deserve? What do I deserve? That's how Jesus talks about offense and forgiveness, by the way. He brings us back to the magnitude of our sin that was forgiven and then holding somebody else's sin against them. So something we need to pray through. It's something that, you know, offense will just harden your heart. And especially think about it. Be honest with yourself. Do you ever take pleasure in somebody else's failure or fall? We can't, we can't go there. God can help us with that. You know, he can take that out of us. All right, next one, mishandled disappointments. Everybody goes through disappointments in life. The scripture says in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. That word sick describes something that is worn out by continual rubbing, being pushed against and rubbed over and over, and it's just worn a hole in it. And that's what happens when we are disappointed over and over and over, and we don't deal with the disappointment. We don't get our focus back on the Lord and find out where God is taking us and remember day to day everything that we have to be thankful for. If we don't live a life of gratitude, if we just let everything that doesn't go the way we wanted it to go, every one of those disappointments, listen, and I've got news for you, people are going to disappoint you. People are going to disappoint you. We're going to disappoint other people, okay? It's a fact of life and something that the love of God gets above and goes beyond. So, so if we allow those, if we don't deal with disappointments, we're going to become hard-hearted. And it, and it, just, it just, you know, I say this to people a lot because God has said it to me a lot. Sometimes with people, you have certain expectations and they don't meet them and you're disappointed. And all I've gone to God, I've, I've finally kind of got this, for, but for a long time, I went to God and I'd say, Lord, this happened and you know, I'm so disappointed and why couldn't they have done this? And I just, and, and God always dealt with my expectation. He always said, you need to lower your expectations right now because right now they're not capable of meeting that expectation and you're the one that's getting upset about it because of where they are in life. And he's not upset about it. He is working with every one of us. Like I said, I disappoint people. You disappoint people. You know, this is a part of life. And a part of maturing as a Christian is learning how to get past that and love people and lift them up and see what God is doing in them. So I, I think really ultimately with disappointments and with loss, which is the next one, we need to learn how to live in eternal hope because the Bible says we've been born again into an eternal hope because of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. There, you know, we, we throw that statement, or I don't say we throw it around, we, we say it a lot that any area in our life where we don't have any hope, we're believing a lie because there's no place in life with God that we can't have hope. There just isn't. We're somewhere believing a lie if we can't get back into hope. And so it really comes down to beginning to live with that real eternal perspective on life. So the next one is loss, mishandled loss. All right. And I think part of this, we all experience loss. We lose people that we love. We lose things. We lose dreams. Um, 
you know, there's something that Karen and I were talking about the other day that I just refer to as the loss that comes with age. And my brother and I were talking about this recently because, you know, we've already, we're really young and we've already lost a lot of people that we love out of our life. And the more people you know and the more people you love, the more people you're going to lose because, you know, we're not all going to stay here for eternity, but we are going to stay someplace for eternity. And that really becomes the point is if we don't have that eternal perspective, especially on people, you know, we are going to be reunited with these people for eternity. This is temporary. And so we really need to have that eternal perspective. But the same is true of life, because when you lose, sometimes when you lose somebody, that somebody represents an entire period in your life that was important and that was good. And that, and especially as you get older, you can look back on that and you can really fall into depression over that whole, wow, that whole thing's gone. You know, everything's changed. There's all those people are gone. That thing is gone. Uh, you know, I don't have that anymore in my life. We have got to be people. We can, I'm absolutely 100% convinced, we can keep going forward with God every single day of our lives. If we keep our focus on him, he always has a future and a hope for us, always. And if we stay engaged with, okay, I feel that loss, but you know what? Here's what I have today. Here's what God has given me. These are the friends I have today. These are the people that I have today. This is the vision God has for me. This is the way I can serve people. This is the, you know, uh, we can't welcome everybody into the building today, but we have a building. We didn't used to have a building, you know? We have a building. And, and we can do more today than we could last week. You know, we've got to have that perspective on things. If we don't, loss will harden your heart. And, and you will have a really hard time accepting what God says to you. You will have a really hard time letting him put a future and a hope on the inside of you. And I, I do, I think as you get older, some of those things, um, they can get more difficult, but they're still there if we're focusing in on God. All right, unforgiven betrayal, you know, betrayal specifically attacks our trust. And again, you can't receive from God if you can't trust God. If you let trust go out of one area in your life, you'll have a hard time trusting over here. We'll just become more cynical, less trusting of everything if we don't deal with it. Betrayal in particular has the ability to steal your, steal your ability to trust God, trust people. And so it's something we've just, we've got to learn how to go through human betrayal without thinking God betrayed us, okay? We've got to be able to, and again, if, if your theology says God's responsible for everything that happens on earth, that might be impossible for you until you straighten out your understanding of who, who God is and who the devil is in this earth, okay? And the last one is uh, legalism or religious legalism. Jesus said the traditions of men make the word of God of no effect, all right? Legalism creates a rigid structure for us to live in. Legalism gives no room. It, we start to base our worth on what we can do instead of what Jesus did, and it gives no room for um, situational instructions from the Lord. And so we'll harden our heart to those. If it doesn't fit in our religious structure, 
What's an example of that? Jesus and his disciples walking through the fields on the Sabbath and the disciples started plucking some heads of grain and eating them. And, and the religious legalists came and said, they can't do that. They're harvesting. This is on the Sabbath. You can't do that. Jesus broke a lot of rules. And I think, you know, obviously he did it in the right way and with the right heart, but Jesus broke a lot of rules. And they were those legalistic rules. And I think he did it to wake people up to the fact that the rule wasn't what mattered. It was the heart behind the rule that they needed to. And that's what he did with that Sabbath situation. If we're, if we're legalistic in our lives, it will be nearly impossible for us to get situational instruction where the Holy Spirit says, go to this place, do this, talk to that person. And we would normally think, oh, I shouldn't have anything to do with a person like that. I mean, you know, that's the heart of the gospel is the love of God going to undeserving people like us, okay? All right, let me run through these. It's 11 o'clock. This won't take long. Uh, so how do we, what we have to do is we have to be able to understand the word, treasure the word, and just here are some keys. This is really simple. This is not rocket science. The first one is always say yes to the word accept or acknowledge God's voice and message. If he tells you something, say yes. You don't understand it necessarily. You don't get it. Just set your heart that, yes, Lord. That's the place to start. Yes, Lord, okay? It's never no or maybe. It's, it might be, Lord, I need more instruction. I don't get it. That's all fine. But it comes from a yes heart. It comes from a Mary heart as, uh, you know, at, where, where she said, really? How is this going to happen since I, I'm not with a man? How am I going to have a baby? She wasn't saying this can't happen. She was saying, how's that going to work? You know, and, and God dealt with that and God approved of that. Okay. The second one is you need to record what God's saying to you somehow. You need to make a note. You need to speak it into your phone. You need to make a note of the scriptures, scriptures the revelations, whatever God is highlighting to you, record it. It shows that you care about it. It shows value and it helps our memory. Okay. And you can go back to it. And, and so when God speaks something to you, stop. Think of how much honor. How do you feel when you're trying to talk to somebody and trying to get something across and they just keep doing what they're doing and don't make eye contact and just get, you wouldn't, you, you, you know, you, you say, are you listening? Do you, do you hear me? You know, we need to stop. When God speaks, we need to stop and record what he's saying. Okay, the next one, replay it in your mind. That's why you record it. Think about it, speak it, pray it. I know this stuff is simple, but how many of us are doing it? If we don't want to get hardened in our heart, we need to acknowledge the word. We need to value the word. We need to see that seed as really precious. And this is how you do that in a practical way. You keep it before your eyes. That means you carry it with you. You look at it frequently. I mean that literally. I don't mean just, oh, I carry it in my heart. Well, that's fine if you have a lot better memory than I do, but carry it with you. Record it. Have a note. Have something in your phone. Listen to the message again that you were getting something from. Listen to it again and again and again and again. 
We are so entertainment, so soundbite oriented that we just want to, oh, heard that, oh, that was good. And then we move on. We never think about it again. You're not going to get the good out of God's word. Just like you wouldn't put a seed in the ground, then pluck it up and put it in the ground, pluck it up, put it in the ground, pluck it up. It's never going to produce anything for you. We need to replay it. We need to keep it before our eyes. In the Old Testament, the Lord told people to, they had to write it on the doorposts so that every time they came into the house, they saw the word of God. He said, keep it like frontlets before your eyes. Keep it. And it was literally something that you could keep right here that had the word written in it, like a sort of a locket type thing that you could wear on your forehead. So it was banging you in the head. That's the way I think of it is, you know, it had to bang me in the head all day so that I could keep the word that God has spoken in front of me. So figure out how to do that in your life, okay? Uh, Two more, talk about it with your family and friends. If you can't talk with your friends about the word of God and what he's saying to you, you need new friends. You don't have to abandon all your old ones, but you need some new friends. If you can't talk about it with your family, get some friends. You can't get a new family, get some friends, okay? And, and be able to talk about the word, talk about what God's saying, what God's telling you. We need to speak. It's good for both sides of that conversation. Those are the best conversations when we just get talking about what God's doing and what God's saying. And then finally, pray over it. And by that, I mean, ask for more revelation of what of the seed God has sown. We record it. We write it down, we carry it, we think about it, we pray over it, we talk about it, and we ask God for more revelation. Expand this, God. Show me how to do this. Remember last week we saw that that word uh, where Jesus said, be careful about what you hear, it meant see what you just heard. All right, and, and, he's, and that word understanding had to do with being able to put the pieces together, put what God said together with life with what I'm facing today, with what I'm doing. How does this apply in life? When we start doing all that, we'll at least get to that next stage of stony ground, okay? We move out of the beaten path ground. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning, Lord, for everything that you've done. Thank you for the great things you spoke to us during our time of worship. Thank you for the way that you have ministered to our hearts, Lord. Thank you, Father God, for everything that you have said and you have spoken. And right now we choose to value and to treasure the things that you've spoken to us individually today. We choose to value them, to treasure them. Even if it was just one word that caught our attention, that quickened our spirit, that word can produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. So we treasure it in the name of Jesus. All right. Amen. Let's say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world will be dismissed. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.